Oh, I had no one to blame How I longed to hide my face I was so ashamed Of all the wrongs I've done And I knew I had to pay Well, I was bound to face hell's flames I'd be there today My friends, but for the blood for the blood shed on Calvary's tree, but for the blood there'd be no hope for you and me. For all my righteousness is filthy rags, and that's all I'll ever be. But for the blood that cleansed and set me. Even now I get so low You know the devil lets me know I'm so undeserving I'm unworthy of God's love And oh yes I know it's true But here I am with the chosen few well, I stand just by the blood but for the blood shed on Calvary's tree, but for the blood there'd be no hope for you and me. For all my righteousness, filthy rags, and that's all I'd ever be. But for the blood that cleansed and set me. turn uh, in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to read also from Mark chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, uh, but if you choose to, you can. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, and then Mark will be chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Uh, we are not by any means, uh, any stretch of the imagination, finished with the book of Judges, uh, but we are taking these next couple of weeks leading up to homecoming uh, to spend a little time together in some other areas. And then October the 9th, we'll come back to the book of Judges and be there probably through the end of November, uh, and then we'll finish it up. So I wanted to speak with you today uh, on the subject of God's call, God's call. 
And I want to read to you here from Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to read Mark chapter 8. It's the same event. It's two perspectives of the same event. Uh, but I want you to hear the wording in both. Uh, I believe that it uh, makes the point of the passage. Beginning, if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's word. Beginning in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Listen to that passage in Mark chapter 8. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the call of God or God's call. I wonder before we pray, I wonder how many in here would say uh, in an affirmative, I have been called of God. If you could say in an affirmative, I have been called of God, would you raise your hand? Okay, very good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray God as we come to you this evening or this morning, this second opportunity to share this passage. God, I pray that you would give us more clarity than the first Lord, I pray uh, you've seen the hands. Lord, you, you've shown me. Father, I pray that as we move into this passage, that God, you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to the truth. Father, I pray that we would hear from you this morning. Lord, I, I know that there's many here, and it's been a tremendous service already. It's, it's been celebratory, and it's been praiseworthy. But, Father, this part of the service is what makes the matter. God, as we 
come to this time of sharing the word of God. Lord, would you give us ears to hear. Father, I pray you'd do a special work in our presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. As we think about this idea this morning, the call of God or the calling of God, we could ask the following questions. We could, uh, in order to set a stage or to develop a thesis of, of examination, is God still calling? Has God called you? How do we know when God calls? Is there a proper method of response when he does call? Those are the, the thoughts that I had moving this week. I suppose we, we might short this conversation, but I'm afraid that it has already been shorted too many times. I know this, we could also prop up this conversation with suspense and with drama, with superstition, and uh, with hyperbole. And many times this conversation relies on those very thoughts, those ideas. My hope today is to be clearer than that, and I can be clear because I believe that the Bible is clear. And God speaks now through his Son, who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the express image of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews would state it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. What that says in plain English, or as plain as it could be stated, is that God, who in various different times, in all sorts of generations, through all sorts of societies, in all forms of economies, at various different times, and in varying different manners, uh, in all different forms of communication, in the times past, he spoke to the fathers, those early believers, through the prophets. But now, he speaks through his son. That's what it says in, in plain, simple language. But we would say, okay, so God speaks through his son. His son is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God speaks through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would say, well, how does the Lord Jesus Christ speak to us? Well, we would take a quick turn over to John chapter 1, and we would read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of that very chapter, we would see that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so we would say, okay, so God speaks to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Son, Jesus Christ, is the Word, and I am holding... The Word. And so God, who in various times, in different manners, in the ages of histories, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, now speaks to us through His Word. 
We can establish that as a principle and not be afraid of it. We can rest assured that if and when God is speaking, He will do so through His written Word, which is, I might add, infallible, inerrant, and eternal. There's no other book similar. There's no other source of communication from God that is as dependable as the written Word of God. It is, after all, the revealed will of God. He will do so through His Word, as this is the way that God speaks to us today. In fact, I, I thought about this the other day. The, the phrase came to my mind, and the Word of the Lord came unto me saying. And the Word of the Lord came unto me saying. Does anybody recognize that? And the Word of the Lord came unto me saying. Say that with me. And the Word of the Lord came unto me saying. Say it one more time. And the Word of the Lord came unto me saying. That phrase appears 200 times in the Old Testament. 200 times. How did, the, how did God speak to the prophets? The word of the Lord came unto me saying, 200 times. And so this is not a new principle. God speaks through God's word. So what does that mean for us? How can we... If I wanted to define a broad stroke of when, where, or how I could hear from God. Well, uh, we could hear from God while we are reading the Bible because that's God's Word. And we have exposed ourselves directly to the Word of God. Therefore, during that time of reading, we might hear from God. There, we, could, we could also hear from God while reading a book that is written about the Word of God if the book contains the Word of God. So that the Word of God is expressly uh, and, and, and definitively extolled within the pages of that book. That portion of that book could speak to us. We could hear from God there. We might could hear from God if we were watching a Christian film if the Christian film contained the Word of God and it exemplified the Word of God. We might could hear from God if we were singing or listening to music, if the music contained excerpts from the Word of God. I treated everybody earlier with a very raspy, off-key version of I Saw the Light, but I want you to know that's not the Word of God. That's the Word of Hank Williams. And you can listen to that all you want to, and you may be entertained. You might well be encouraged but you will not hear from God when you're listening to I Saw the Light because it does not contain the Word of God. Because God speaks to us through His Word, through His Son. We might hear from God while we are listening to a Sunday school teacher teach uh, or speak if that Sunday school teacher is reading and speaking from the Scriptures. We might hear from God while we're listening to a preacher preach, if the preacher's preaching the Bible, not his opinions. We, we might hear from God while we're meditating upon a passage or a verse of Scripture that we have memorized. But this much I can state definitively, you can rest assured, if you're going to hear from God, the Word of God will be at the center of the revelation because in these last days, God hath spoken unto us by His Son, who is the Word who was made flesh. 
So we think about this idea of the call. I'm pretty confident that I could have taken Isaiah chapter 6 and preached pretty close to the same sermon outline. I think I could do so out of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 as well. But God directed me to this passage. And the reason that he did direct me to this passage is because we have read it and now we know that these words are words coming from the literal mouth of Christ to the disciples and all people who would hear. That sounds to me like that is universal to you and I. We, we notice... As we blow through those verses, and I'm confident that you've read them before, but, but there is a call, there's a command, there's a cost, there's a consideration, there's a, a future coming. We see those things. But I want you to think about that call for a minute, and I want you to hear what he says in verse 24, the very first few line words, if any man will come after me. In Mark chapter 8, that says, whosoever will come after me. What we would comprehend there is that this is an open call. It is an open call. It it is to those disciples and all of the people that were around at that time, it was an open call. And when the reader reads the word of God today, it is an open call to the reader. In fact, the the Bible is full of open calls. This this particular portion would answer the question, is God still calling? Has God called you? Or how do you know when God calls? And this is what we understand. That this is an open call. And throughout the scriptures are multiple open calls. There is an open call to salvation. There is an open call to sanctification and or separation. There is an open call to service. There is an open call to sacrifice. There is an open call to come unto him. And there is an open call to go unto them. Those are all open calls. And those are just open calls that I could quickly in my mind alliterate and rhyme. The Bible is rife with open calls. The Bible is the word of God through which God speaks to his people. And so we see this picture of an open call. Think about this particular verse. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. The Bible says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now this comes on the heels of King Uzziah dying. Isaiah uh, had all of his faith and trust in King Uzziah. Uzziah dies. Suddenly Isaiah's eyes are open. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon the throne. His train fills the temple. Isaiah recognizes that that's God. The king wasn't God. The government's not God. I'm not God. The, the Torah is not God. That's God. And he sees him and he, and he says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God purges his lips and God then says whom will go for us and who shall I send and Isaiah said I'll go send me that is an open call he did not say Isaiah will you now go for me and can I send you he didn't say will the house of Jacob go and can I send them he didn't say will the prophet called of God go and I can send them he said who shall I send and who will go for us it's an open call 
In my life, it was a call to preach. That's what I read there. It's an open call. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Another one of my favorite passages. I'm confident that you like it as well. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is an open call. In the book of Matthew, it's actually a transitional time. It is a time where Christ is transitioning from the presentation of the kingdom to the presentation of the gospel. If you want to get right down to it. But, and in that passage, it's an, it's an invitation but it's an open call, and the open call is to come unto Him, to come unto God, to come unto salvation, to come unto rest. It's unqualified, it is unconditional, and it is a calling to all who labor and are heavy laden. It's an open call. And if the reader reads it today, God is asking you, are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? Are you tired? Come unto me. Leave society. Leave the world. Leave all those things behind and come unto me. It's an open call. John 3.16. Another passage you know very well. What does it say? Whosoever believeth. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. That is an open call. That means that in that verse... In, in any one of those verses, Corey, who shall I send? Corey, will you go for me? Gary, who shall I send? Gary, will you go for me? That's what that means. It's an open call. Uh, but Gary, uh, Corey, if you're tired, come unto me. Corey, if you're heavy laden, come unto me. Corey, if you believe, it's an open call. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's an open call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. It's an open call. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul encouraging the Christians at Rome uh, to stand apart and to be faithful to God. And he says, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is an open call to sacrifice, an open call to submission to God. 2 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says to the church at Corinth, come out from among them and be ye separate. When I read it, it's written to the church at Houston. It's an open call. It is written to speak to us. Matthew 28.19, go ye therefore. Mark 16.15, go ye into all the world. Acts 1.8, be witnesses unto me. Those are all open calls to serve. Every one of those are open calls to serve Christ and to seek the lost. That means that a call is given to every born-again believer. Jesus uses the words, follow me, in that context. Follow me, 13 times in the New Testament. And every time he did, he was saying it to a disciple or persons that would hear. But every time you read it, he's saying it to you. It's an open call. Follow me. It's an open call. And these two passages we're looking at, they're open calls. This is the question. Or one of them. I did this in the earlier service and as a smaller group, and I was less apprehensive about it. And I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. Uh, 
but I just want to see the difference. At some point in time in the scriptures, the Lord says, Whosoever believeth in me shall be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's an open call. I asked you just a moment ago how many people in here felt like they've been called of God. And less than a third of you raised your hands. I want to ask you again. How many people in here feel like you've been called of God? Raise your hand. Do you see the difference? It's an open call. You were called to salvation. God called you to salvation. He spoke to you through his word. The, the question becomes, how, how, do I, how do I know if God is calling me, if God is talking to me? And I'm, I'm going to tell you, the answer is in the inclination. Is your heart inclined to hear the call of God? Because if it is, he's calling you. You know how many people have probably read Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8? I, I would not even know how to begin to put a number on that. How many people have read the story of Isaiah realizing that the king was not God and that God was on the throne and that he was of unclean lips and hearing that call, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I cannot determine. I, there, I don't know that it would be a number you could even account of how many people have read that. But when I read it, it had my name written in it because it's an open call and the Holy Spirit inclined my heart to hear that call. Amen. And so in that moment, I knew that call was for me. I'm telling you today, if you're a born-again believer, the Bible is full of calls just like that and they're for you. They're meant for you. If you're here today and you're not a believer, the Bible is full of calls that are calling you to salvation. They're meant for you. Well, how do I know they're meant for me? Is your heart inclined to hear them? If so, God is doing the work for you. Look at the, the latter portion of verse 24. If any man will come after me, he says. There's the open call. Then there's this order command. And, and it's three steps. We could extrapolate the sentences to read this. Let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and let him follow me. We could do that without doing any damage to the scriptures. There's, there's three imperatives there. There are three basically commands. So we've, we, we come to this grasp of, okay, there's an open call and, and that the call of salvation is for the whosoever will. It's an open call. It's a call of God. And then once the whosoever will have become the elect according to God, then there is a call that is an open call for service. There is an open call for sanctification. There is an open call for sacrifice. And so the individual would say, okay, I heard the call for salvation. I responded to the call for salvation by believing and placing my faith and trust in him. I recognize that he is God and that I am not. I have repented of my sins of unbelief. I have believed the gospel. I have moved in that direction. So what is God doing in my life now? Is he still calling me? And if he is, how should I respond? And this passage tells you step by step how you should respond to that open call. It's just right there where you live. The very first thing we notice is that when God calls, 
Uh, there, and, and if we choose to answer, there's an investment that must be made. And the investment is to deny self or remove self. Now, I want you to consider this very, very deeply for a moment. I want you to hear, if you've not heard me yet, I want you to think about this idea of self and denying self. The, the Lord, in this passage, goes directly to the heart of most of our problems. And the heart of most of our problems is self. That's where the problem is. It's in ourselves. And this is never truer than in salvation. Salvation brings a dethroning of self. That's what happens in salvation. We have to come to the realization that there is a God. I, I did this again. I, I don't want to be redundant, but it's a smaller group. It was easier, but I'm going to do it again. And some of you have been listening to me preach for much too long. Some of you have been listening to me preach for nearly 11 years. And God bless you for it. I, I believe he will bless you for it. There's a, there's a special crown. Uh, it's, it's the sufferer's crown. You'll get that crown. But you've heard me say this. And, and, and look, I, I, I understand that it could be controversial, but it's not controversial. It's scriptures. When, when the Bible says repent and believe the gospel, What am I repenting of? Can somebody say it out loud? Unbelief. The sin of unbelief. Now, now what you've heard in its broad strokes, when we articulate it later, it's true. But in the beginning, it's a broad stroke. What you've heard is repent of your sins. And then you've heard sins defined as uh, drinking and swearing and cussing and country music and tobacco and, and all these things. And listen to me, they're all wrong. And you should repent from every one of them as a believer. But when you're lost, you don't have the ability to repent from them. You are ruled by the flesh and therefore you are conquered by the things of the flesh and you're under the control of the flesh. The repentance is repenting of unbelief. And what that unbelief looks like in almost every person's life is that you are on your own throne. You are serving yourself. You're promoting yourself. You're praising yourself. You're protecting yourself. You're coddling yourself. You're loving yourself. And self is wicked. Self is sinful. Self cannot be depended upon. And God says, I have come to save you. Repentance is looking up and seeing God on the throne and realizing I have usurped authority over God in my life and placed myself on his throne and I am repenting of that and he is on the throne and I'm recognizing that he is the Lord of my life. That's repentance. That's what salvation is. When... When this passage says, deny self, Christ is going straight to the heart of the problem. You know who keeps you from being saved? Self does. What keeps you in your lost estate? Self. Self-desires, self-will, self-worship, self-concern, your own plans, your own dreams, your own desires. That is standing between you and God. And God says, Christ says right here, if you want to follow me, the first thing you need to do is deny self. Amen. Repent. 
No, self doesn't just stop or stand in the way of salvation. Self is tough. It's obstinate. And it remains with you till the day you die. Paul, read Romans chapter 7 sometime. Paul talking about dealing with self. Those things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's the Apostle Paul writing that. Self stays there. So you dethrone self. You say, Lord, there's a God and it's not me. It's, it's Him. He's God. And, and I've, I've repented of that unbelief. I'm, I'm, I don't have myself on the throne anymore. I've, I've put Christ, uh, I've recognized Christ being on the throne and He is the Lord of my life and I'm going to surrender unto Him. And every morning, self wakes up and says, put me back on the throne. Put, let me get back on the throne just for today. Give me, hey, did you see the way that guy talked to you? Let me back on the throne just for a minute. I'll take care of this. And self is fighting to get back on there. And you've got a born-again believer that is trying to, to live a Christian life. And self is buffeting him constantly. And self is standing between you and serving God the way God has called you to serve. Self is standing between you and sanctification. Self is standing between you and separation. Self is standing between you and service. Self is standing between you and submission. Self is creating havoc in your life. And Christ says right here, you want to follow me? Deny him. You put that one off the throne. You deny self. We understand there's an investment. It is the removal of self. Next, we would see the, there's an indication. Deny self, and there's an indication. Take up your cross. That means it's going to require some sacrifice. Now, uh, I want to take a moment here with this cross thing. There's, there's an allusion to the cross. There's even an allusion to our cross. So it's a personal cross. It's personal, but hear me right here. It's not literal. Your cross, as a born-again believer, is not the debt that you ran up as a lost person. Literally. It is not your poor financial status. Your cross to bear is not a bad career. Your cross to bear is... <laughs> mine's in the room right now. I said this earlier, so I just not meant it personal. Your cross is not your rebellious child that won't do what you raised them to do. That's not your cross. That is the result of your decisions. You made those decisions and now you're living with them. Your cross is not that. There is a sacrifice required and the sacrifice is found in the next verse when he says, whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. So this is the cross. The cross represents sacrifice. That's the personal application. It represents sacrifice. Well, what is the sacrifice? Well, you can have all of the world today in this temporal life and none of God in eternity, or you can lose today and have all of God in eternity. 
That's the sacrifice. That's the cross. When he says, if you uh, save your life, you're going to lose it, he's talking about two different lives. Save the life you currently have, you lose the life I'm going to give you. Lose the life you currently have, gain the life I'm going to give you. That's the sacrifice. The sacrifice is, am I going to live like a, a child of the world, or am I going to live like a child of God in the world, but not of the world? That is the sacrifice. The indication is that it requires sacrifice. The practical application is the Christian life will require sacrifice. It's not a literal cross. It's not some hyperbolic, uh, over-the-top misery like the sufferings of Job in order to earn enough humility to be considered one of God's. It is the simple recognition that the life I now live is temporal and the life I desire is eternal. And I'm going to trade the temporal for the eternal. That's the sacrifice. The indication is that it requires sacrifice. Next he says, and follow me. You see that? This is a little different than the first follow me. <laughs> and follow me. Here we, we see this idea of the imitation. Readily serving. There, there's, a, there's two sides of this, this idea, follow me. There's a literal and there's a figurative. What was happening literally when Christ said these words? Who was standing around him? Disciples and other people that would listen. And Christ said to that whole group, whichever of you Desires to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And they were to literally follow, right? Yes, sir. You and I cannot literally follow because he's not literally here, yes. right? So then we understand that it means to live in such a way as to imitate Christ. And then, and then the scholars in the room say, okay, so that means the hair and the beard, the sandals, the commune, the abject poverty. No, it doesn't mean any of those things. Those are the cultural aspects of Christ. We're talking about the character aspects of Christ. How do I live in such a way as to imitate Christ? How can I follow Christ with my life? I believe that in, by and large, you can bring uh, Christ down to two particular areas, and that is submission to the Father and subservient to all other men. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 define that very way. He's not willing to rob uh, God, not, not willing to be equal with God. Uh, he, was not, he was willing to be... Uh, come here, he was willing to be made in the form of a servant. He was obedient unto God, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
When, when multiple occasions, when Christ would give opportunities uh, to define it, he would reduce all of the law down to the picture of, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He would, he would uh, uh, show us time and again with his own behaviors that he was completely uh, in surrender to the Father and that he cared about other men. And that's where we get to this idea of readily serving, the imitation. If you want to follow Christ, you've got to deny self. You, you understand that it's going to require sacrifice and you want to live in such a way as to embody Christ. Christ-likeness. That means I'm fully submitted to God the Father and I'm serving others. Paul, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He, Paul would say in that same book, the book of Philippians, that let each esteem other better than self. Paul would say in that same book, and that book is written all about your attitude, your mind, and how you see life. And he would say in that same book, walk in such a way that people would know that you are a citizen of heaven. That you belong other places than here. That's how you follow Christ. You readily serve. And we would come to this conclusion that the proper response to the call of God first is to respond. It's your first proper response. But beyond that, it is the removal of self, a required sacrifice, and a willingness to serve. That can be brought down to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And you can't do those two things and protect the, the uh, desires of the flesh at the same time. You hear constant encouragement from this pulpit and from these classrooms to read the Word of God. Do you know that I believe that if the believer has a right relationship with the Word of God, the pastor would never have to say, I need you to do so and so? If the church has a right relationship with the Word of God, there would never be a lack or a want for any finances, any talents, any abilities, the church will always be well provided because within the word of God is a whole litany of open calls waiting to be responded to. Would you stand with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. The Lord could be calling you to salvation this morning. Awful lot of hands went up. Can I tell you something? If you know that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've heard the gospel this morning, would you repent? Repent of your unbelief. Place all your faith and trust in Christ. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer because I believe if the Lord puts it on your heart, you'll know the prayer. But the altar's open. I'd love to celebrate with you when you're born again.
Maybe you're here this morning and you are born again. And you're one of those that has found yourself saying sometimes, boy, I really wish I knew what God's will for my life is. Can I tell you the Bible's full of his will for your life? Would you come down this morning and commit to a daily reading and a diligent searching of the word of God to know what his will for your life is? Maybe you're here this morning and you know some things, you just haven't responded. Would you begin even now to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him? The altar's open this morning. Father, I pray God you'd do your work. Lord, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Travel down a lonely road and no one seemed to care. I heard.